I think um, some of you here will be really new to the map. Some of you may be the first time. Some of you have been journeying with us for a while. I've been vicar here for four, about four, four and a half years, just something like that, four and a third of a year. Um, it's a whole new adventure, a whole new journey that we're exploring, what it means to be church here in the parish. Uh, and that means St. Tom's and St. Matt's. Um, and particularly for us as well, is a really, speaking, a, a, a new church, a new church plant. Wants to sense what it is that God's saying to us. I believe we're in a new season. Seasons, I think, are really, really important. And seasons are really, really helpful. Um, we see it naturally, don't we? In the, in the natural world, we see seasons. And there are, there are various seasons that we can experience. And I think there are also kind of... Um, what you see in the natural, you often so often see in the supernatural as well. So where we have seasons in nature, spring, summer, autumn, winter, maybe they get a bit merged and a bit mixed up sometimes, we're not quite sure which is which. But, but we see seasons in the natural, sowing and reaping, um, seasons of fallowness, seasons of autumn where the leaves fall, seasons of winter, kind of cutting everything back, seasons of spring, new birth, new life, seasons of fruitfulness and uh, we see that in the, in the natural but also in the supernatural realm I believe as well and as we kind of starting this new series um, that kind of Jenny and I have been putting together we, we've been thinking about what it is that God wants to say to us this year and, and a couple of weeks ago Joe, uh, Jenny spoke about intentionality that God really wants to speak to us about um, a sense of I think it's fine Peter if you just leave it actually rather than turn it off <laughs> um, I think you know a sense of new beginnings and intentionality saying actually I'm going to set my heart on heaven and we're going to kind of really press into what God wants one of the verses that came to mind was that in John where Jesus talks about you know abiding in him and we've got this new season uh, new series of abiding bearing and pruning and we're going to be kind of circling over those and looking at it in different ways what it means to be a disciple of Christ what it means to follow the Father what it means to pursue Jesus to encounter the Holy Spirit and last week um, if you weren't here last week um, do go online and listen to uh, the podcast because last week the PA was working um, and we've got a recording I think it's quite key about what does it mean to abide what does it mean to rest in the Father what does it mean to dwell with him so that I can actually begin to hear who I am because identity is so key at Jesus' baptism the Father spoke to him this is my son in whom I'm well pleased my beloved I said last week it's not about what Jesus had done at that point it was just simply who he was and for you you're, you're a human being not a human doing the Father looks at you if you know and love the Lord he looks at you he loves you he loves his creation you made him his image and he delights in you and he wants to use you he wants to use us as his church so last week was all about abiding in him and as we, as we hang out in the Father's presence as we lean against him we begin to hear his heartbeat for the world yes but actually you know what we hear his heartbeat for you and me how does the Father really think about you what does the Father really say about you what are the plans the Father has for you we need to abide in order to sense that so that's abiding this week is bearing it's the ABP not ABC but ABP abiding, bearing and pruning and we're going to be talking about pruning next week but this week's about bearing bearing fruits I love this verse in John 15 verse 8 it's a really simple verse but you know what there's a lot in it it says this this is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples you are supposed to be really fruitful that's the father's longing 
We know there are seasons of barrenness. We know there are seasons of pruning. We're going to talk about that next week. We know there are seasons of kind of fallow times. We know that's true and that's real. And actually that's part of the importance. But what's the journey? What's the destination? What's the point of those things? It's in order that you might bear much fruit. You are supposed to be fruitful. You are made for fruitfulness. Now what that looks like will depend on God's calling on your life. And actually sometimes of what we think of fruitfulness, perhaps God has a different picture, a different idea for you. But he intends you to be fruitful. Why? Well, not just a bit of fruit. He wants you to be really fruitful for a reason, because he gets the glory. This isn't about us being fruitful. Look at me, I'm a really shiny, successful Christian. Look at me, I'm so fruitful. There's fruits everywhere. I'm like this giant fruit salad that's amazing. I'm better than Waitrose. It's, It's not about that. It's about, wow, look at the fruitfulness in that person's life that points at Jesus, that brings honour to the Father. Fruitfulness for God's glory. It says, showing yourself to be my disciples. So Jesus is saying, actually, as a disciple of Christ, as someone who's filled with the Holy Spirit and seeking to honour him, God wants you to be fruitful. That's evidence of discipleship. Now, there may be seasons, we're talking about that, but the point is for you to be fruitful. And I believe that you know, abiding and pruning, which we're going to talk about in various ways, is really, really important for you to be fruitful. But tonight particularly, I want to talk about fruitfulness. Genesis 1, right back at the beginning, Genesis 1.28. This is the mandate given to Adam and Eve. Be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful. Do you think that's changed? Be fruitful. What does that mean? What might that mean for you and for me? Fruitfulness speaks of um, productiveness, overflow, I think, bounty, replication, multiplication. Not just same of same again, but a multiplication. I'm going to speak more about that in a minute. And then Genesis 9.1. This isn't just to Adam and Eve. This is to Noah. What did God say to Noah? Be fruitful and multiply. Genesis 35.11. What did God say to Jacob? I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. This is a message right the way through Scripture. God's longing is for us, his people, to be fruitful. And if I'm really honest, I really, really long to be fruitful. Um, I was a bit distracted (laughs) trying to stop the... um, sound desk killing our sound engineers at the back and blowing up on them um, but we had the reading um, from 1 Corinthians 13 yeah gifts of the Holy Spirit uh, 12 gifts of the Holy Spirit just testing gifts of the Holy Spirit when you read those that list what, what do you think I'd be really interested we haven't got time to go around but I'm really interested to know what you think about that passage when I, when I read the list of giftings of the gifts of the Holy Spirit whether it's prophesying, whether it's miracles, whether it's interpretation of tongues, whether it's speaking in different kind of tongues. Now, some of those may be way beyond your remit, maybe way beyond your comfort zone, maybe kind of like, well, they for today. That's a conversation perhaps for another day. But I have to be honest, when I read that list, I think, Lord, I want them all. Now, I'm not just saying that as a preacher, it's like, oh, that's a good thing to say. I'm serious. I really want, I long to see miracles in these days. Why? Not because I want to look like a really great preacher or leader. I want to see sick people I know healed. And the whole church shouted, Amen, hallelujah, we want that too. Thank you. (laughs) Almost Pentecostal. I do, because I have friends who are dying. I have friends who are really sick. I have friends who are really broken in their spirit. 
I know people who are losing hope. I know people in the world who are, who, who are at the end of themselves. And if we believe that the gospel is a gospel of hope and transformation and power, then we have to have faith in it. And we have to have faith in the Jesus who conquered death and rose again. And promises, I've gone back to the Father, why? So that I can pour the Holy Spirit out on the church so you can receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses. Not you'll receive good words of kind of like teaching. Not that you'll receive nice ideas and kind of new strategies to plant new kinds of um, ideas of churches and things like that. Not, not just sort of good programs. God didn't intend for us to have lots of good programs and good ideas. He said, I'm going to give you power. Power. Man, don't we need some power in the church today? We really need power. I really need power in my life. When I, when I start sharing witness you know, with, with, with people and I start stumbling over words and I go, Lord, I need your power to help me because fear rages. Tim, shut your mouth. They're going to think you're weird. Tim, shut your mouth. But, you know, does this disgust really work? Of course it does. I know it does. I've seen people healed. I've seen people transformed. I've seen the worst of the worst come to a living faith in Christ and their lives redeemed beautifully. But that requires power. So when I read the gifts of the Holy Spirit, tongues and interpretation on Pentecost, when God's Spirit was poured out, people from all tribes and nations and tongues there, and what happened, the people started speaking supernaturally. And people were gobsmacked. Now they thought they were drunk and thought they were nuts. Most people look at the church and think we're nuts because they just think we're boring old farts. Not because we're raging in the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't care what people think of me or us as church. I don't mind if they're offended, but I want them to be offended at the fact that we're full of the Holy Spirit and the presence of God and life of the kingdom, which is so outrageous it offends the flesh and it offends the religious rulers. I don't mind that. Or are we just inoffensive and just attack on the church? Oh, they're nice. A bit dim, but they're nice. I don't think anyone ever looked at Jesus and thought, he's nice but dim. They were offended by him. They were wowed by him. Some we know were scared of him because he carried such power and authority that they trembled. We cannot, as of God's people, live in days of mediocrity anymore. The world is going to hell, literally. No one has solutions for problems in business, in finance, in Brexit, in politics, in some, you know, super diseases that counter all the kind of um, vaccines and stuff we have to, you know, there are difficult questions out there in the world and somehow in the midst of it, in the mystery of who God is I believe that God does have answers that the world doesn't have, that we don't have and so we as the people of God need to be carriers of his presence and his power bearing fruit does that mean we'll always see healing, we'll always see victory? no, because it's the now and the not yet as Jim, John Wimber used to say we're not fully there yet but we pray God let your kingdom come because otherwise why, are we t- why do we pray that? Lord let your kingdom come let your will be done who's ever prayed that as a Christian? it's called the Lord's Prayer I hope quite a few of us might have done what? why do we pray that prayer? well it's because we don't see it right? when we go out on the streets in Bath when we're loving people who are really broken when we're with people who are sick and we don't see God's kingdom fully here we don't see all the sick healed and we don't see the dead raised up and we don't see those whose eyes are blind having a revelation of Jesus we don't see that much as much as we want so we get on our knees and we pray Lord let your kingdom come let your will be done what's God's will? well his will is for healing for health, for life, for joy for peace, for goodness 
Because that's where the king gets his kingdom done. A kingdom is where the king is in charge. And we know that this world is kind of ruled and torn and ripped backwards and forwards by the enemy, the enemy of our souls. But God is the king on the throne who one day will come back and there will one day be no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering, no more death, no more decay. We're not there yet. But we pray, Lord, rend the heavens and come down. Have mercy upon us. As Israel, right away through the Old Testament, often turned away from God, didn't they? they? They went through the wilderness. This is, by the way, this is just an intro. They went through the wilderness. They went through, you know, Egypt. They went. I should, I should warn you, so I'm actually not really preaching from notes tonight because God told me to just go for it. So here I am trying to. They, they went through the wilderness. God took them out of captivity in Egypt. Yes, remember that story? Joseph. Watch the Disney film. It's actually very good. They were in captivity. They were slaves. They were slaves. They were dying, literally making bricks for the Egyptians who used to beat them. And they were slaves in captivity. And God, and they, because they, they turned their back on God. But they cried out to God and God said, I've heard the cries of my people. And so Moses is sent to see them free. And we know there's battle, isn't there? There's all the kind of gods of Egypt that actually, literally, God wages war on in terms of fighting the kind of frogs and it's interesting what some going to you'd be pleased to know but they're all gods of Egypt and God one by one slays them and says you might think this is a god but he's nothing compared to me as true god and eventually you know the story the blood's painted over the doorposts Jesus' blood shed for us but the blood of the lamb is smeared over the doorposts the angel of death is, it comes and, and Israel is, is set free and they escape from slavery, they escape from captivity, and they go and they see the water. You know, they, they oh my goodness, they're there. They escape. They plunder Egypt's riches, and they say, "Yay!" And then the next day, they turn back and they see Egypt chasing them. All the, all the Pharaoh changes mind. All the warriors, all the chariots chase after them, and they freak out. God, why did you let us down? And God says, "It's okay." They cry out to him, and he parts the Red Sea, and they escape, and all the Egyptians lose their lives in the Red Sea and the people of God escape slavery and captivity. They're, they're taken towards the promised land. And then what do they do? Well, they start turning their back on God. They start quarrelling, they start bickering, they start slagging each other off because that's what often happens to a community of believers when they take their eyes off God. They even begin worshipping a golden calf. They melt down the riches that they took from Egypt that God gave them and they burn it and turn it into a cow that they worship. And, you know, it's so easy sometimes for us to take our eyes off God. And when we take our eyes off God, we start looking to really stupid things that we think will sustain us and bring us life. And you know what? A a dead golden cow might look pretty, but it's just a dead golden cow that weighs a lot. It's not going to do you anything. How many dead golden cows do we put our treasure in? Because where you have treasure is, that's where your heart is the Bible. How many things do we look to for power, for resources, for energy, for... For hope, and you, we know it comes to nothing. But God is so kind, isn't he? You know, they wave about the force. God, we're hungry. God provides for them. God, we're thirsty. God provides for them. And the battles and falls and battles and falls. And when eventually God says, all I hate throughout Scripture, when my people humble themselves and turn back to me and cry out and say, actually, God, we really need you, then I'll rend the heavens and come down because the Father wants to bless his people. The Father wants to release his people. The Father wants this generation to have an encounter with his love and his power. But he needs a church that is bold enough to say, you know what, the answer is found in Jesus Christ. True power and authority is only found in him. True answers are only found in him. 
There's nothing wrong with education and wisdom. All those things are good. We're so thankful for our healthcare system and for all the wonderful blessings that God gives us. But sometimes we turn from God and we just embrace those things and we forget that we need God. Because we can kind of comfort ourselves without him. Until it all hits the fan. And then we think, oh bother. Maybe I need something more than a good pension plan. Maybe I need something more than a good job and a beautiful wife. Maybe I need something more than all those things. And we turn to God and we say, Lord, we have mercy on us. You've been so gracious to us. You've blessed us with all these things, but often we've taken our eyes and our hearts off you. And we wonder why we're not always very fruitful. Well, perhaps because it's not abiding in the source of life and joy. And we're not allowing his fruitfulness and the flow of his heavenly resources to come through us. God is urging his church to come back to him, to receive from him, so that we can give from the riches that he gives to us. So I read a passage like that, a list of spiritual gifts, and I think, man, I really long to be powerful. I long to be a powerful person so that your kingdom can come to me and through me. I long for your church to be radiant and glorious and not weak and passive and scared of speaking out against things that we think wrong in case someone challenges us, but actually a church that says, this is wrong. No injustice. No to child trafficking. No to political lies. No to the injustices that we see around us. We take a stand and we say, this is what the Lord says. And he says it not to judge, but because he loves you, because there's better. And we make a stand as his church and his fruitfulness flows through us. His power flows through us. So I long to be really, really fruitful. Not because I want to look good and shiny, but because I long for Jesus to be glorified in the days that we live in. Lord, may your glory be seen. May we bear much fruit so that your glory is shown. Be fruitful and multiply, says God. Is it feasible to want all those things in the gift, list of gifts there? Miracles, tongues, interpretation, prophecy, the list goes on and on and on. Words of knowledge, words of wisdom, we haven't got time to talk about all those. Is it feasible? I don't know. But it does say eagerly desire spiritual gifts. So my question is, are you? Because if you're not, you're not obeying what, what, what that's being urged there. I know, I look at my life and I think, I'm not sure I am eagerly desiring the Lord. So therefore I need to repent and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that my passion has grown low. I'm sorry that my, my longing for you has become numbed or dulled. Would you reignite the flame in my heart so that I eagerly desire you, Lord. I eagerly desire your glory. I eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Not that I look shiny, but you might be glorified, that your kingdom might come. Help me to be part of the answer to that prayer. Your kingdom come to me. Your will be done in me so that your kingdom can be done around me and your will be done around me that I can become part of the solution. I long to be fruitful. Do you? I believe there's a direct relationship between obedience and fruitfulness. What do I mean by that? Well, it's really interesting. I'm awful. <laughs> I do listen normally. I assume you had the, the reading of the, the wedding at Cana, yeah? I love that story. It's a fantastic story. We're in the season of Epiphany. I'm sure you all know that, you good Anglicans. 
Uh, Epiphany 3, technically, today. Kind of final section of Epiphany. Epiphany means revelation, manifesto. I'm sure you've been lying awake at night, excited about the fact that you're in Epiphany. Epiphany means a revelation of Jesus. So we talked about the coming of the kings. That's often talked about in Epiphany. Uh, Often his baptism is the third part of Epiphany. And the final bit of Epiphany that's often used historically throughout the church is the first miracle of Jesus. You all knew that Cana was Jesus' first miracle. So yes, Tim. Some of you are lying. Um, That's his first miracle. He turned water into wine. Did you see what his mum said? Mary. Verse 5. He said this to the uh, servants. Do whatever he tells you. Little verse. Doesn't seem very significant. Do whatever he tells you. Radical obedience. Has Jesus ever asked you to do something you thought, no, that's stupid. I'm not doing that. I'll look stupid. You're right. You're telling me to do it, Jesus, but you haven't got to do it. I've got to do it. Has he ever told you to turn to the person next to you on the bus and say, can I just chat to you about something? <laughs> or has he ever given you a word of knowledge for someone and you think, oh, I just know about that woman in the queue at Tesco. I just sense God saying something. Anyway, <laughs> sometimes you get this little voice in you, in you, the Holy Spirit, saying, Tim, that area of your life needs to change. Or maybe him saying to you, I want you to consider going to this place to me. Whatever it may be, big things, small things, job, career, relationships, ministry, church, giving money. I'd like you to give money to that person. I'd like you to give this amount. I can't give that amount of money. That's, that's loads of money, Jesus. Radical obedience. What did Mary say to the servants? Do whatever he tells you. Whatever he asks of you. And I wonder, I often wonder what those servants thought. Now, servants are the type of people who just did as they were told. But I suspect many of them, they were used to obeying the master, right? But who's this Jesus bloke? Who's this guy with the sandals and beard? I don't know. And he's telling me to fill the ceremonial water jars with water right to the brim. Now, these are not one litre Tesco bottles of, you know, sparkling water plastic. These are six jars that each hold 30 gallons. They would have been made of clay, strong. That would have been big old bits. Even to carry them somewhere would have been quite a feat. Then to fill them with, with water, then to bring them... They've got to fill them. Maybe they have to get buckets and bring them backwards and forwards. Why is this bloke? We've run out of wine. Water is not the issue. There's a well. We can do that. But this man's telling me to fill these six 30-gallon jars with water. Now, did, that, did they process that in their heads? I don't know. I suspect they did. But as probably as good servants, they said nothing. They just moaned inwardly. How many of us as Christians do that? Yeah. I'll say nothing, but I'm filming. What do you mean you want me to do that? Shut up! I'll do it through gritted teeth and I'll look miserable. That's often our response, right? Cynical, angry, upset. But they did do it. (laughs) And I think God honours that. Even when our heart's wrong, radical obedience often yields kingdom fruits. What is God asking you about right now? And you know, if God has asked you to do something and you haven't yet done it, He's not going to start talking to you about other things, I would suggest. He waits till we're obedient, and then he says, now I want you to do this. Or he'll say, now, now, this is why I've asked you to do this. 
So don't expect God to say something new to you if you haven't been obedient about what he's spoken to you about in the past. He, he doesn't kind of forget and go, oh yeah, no, it's like, well, don't worry about that. How about this? He's also incredibly merciful and incredibly patient. Radical obedience brings radical kingdom fruit. And what is the fruit? Well, it yields wine. Now, I know all of you here are too young to drink wine. But what's special about this wine? Well, it's the best wine. It's not just kind of good wine. This is the best, best wine. And, uh, you've heard me say this before, ludicrously extravagant quantities of the stuff. You know, when I, I grew up in a Baptist church where, where wine was, you know, it was tolerated quietly, but no one ever really admitted the fact that they drank it occasionally. I was very young, so I didn't. But in that sort of context, this parable was, this, this story was talked about, and it was kind of framed in the way that Jesus kind of took a couple of glasses, oh, 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 did a bit of magic, and suddenly, oh, that's nice, and there was a bit of wine, and everyone laughed and cheered, and... No. Six jars, 30 gallons each, filled to the brim, that's 1,090 bottles of wine. And we're not talking about Lidl's quite nice wine, we're talking about the best of the best Waitrose Select Plus. And they're all gobsmacked. You don't bring the best wine out of the end, you give the good wine, and as people get more and more drunk, you decrease the quality because by the end, I mean, they might as well be drinking water because they're oblivious to what it tastes like. But everyone's caught up short because this is incredible. God's fruit is the best fruit in ludicrous quantities if you are obedient, if you yield to Him. Do you want to be fruitful? Then say yes to Him. We can get really used to drinking cheap rubbish. Because actually that tastes alright, gets us through, it's fine. But when you drink something that's spectacular, when you eat something that's spectacular, it catches you up short. God wants to give the best. And you know, we can talk about this all night, but it's not just about Jesus wanting to get, get the party back on track. It's a statement when Jesus does this. It's like he's shouting from the rooftops, I'm the true bridegroom. And I'm bringing the feast. And you're all invited if you want to come. And it'll cost you absolutely nothing. Except everything you are. It's really easy to survive on a poverty mentality. Going back to what I was saying, here in the West, we can survive with our golden cows because they look really shiny and they're nice and we can stroke them and they feel really smooth and they make us feel nice. It's a poverty mentality though because it's really, it's, it's fragile, it's worth nothing in, compared to the real power and glory of God. Jesus does this incredible, beautiful thing in that passage. He he shows who he truly is. Isaiah 25, 6 to 8. I think he had this in mind. This verse. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud, the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The Sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He'll remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. That's what the kingdom's about. Shame being obliterated. Disgrace being torn away. 
You know, people in, in, in our community, people who you're studying with, people working, they, you know, they look great, they're, they're happy, they're wealthy, many of them, they, they seem okay, they seem together. But actually, if you scratch the surface of people's lives, you'll often find disgrace and shame. You'll often find a poverty of spirit, a loneliness, a sadness, a hopelessness. You'll find years of hurt that they've never really remedied. You'll find people who have slept around so much that actually they feel like nothing anymore, they feel numb. Trying to chase the next thing that will make them feel complete. And it breaks the heart of the Father because He wants to bring truth and life and hope and wholeness. He, he loves to redeem and hold and carry and heal. And it's His power and His life that can do that. The best wine. We're invited to participate in this glorious feast. And we as a church are supposed to be championing it and inviting the lost and the broken, the least, the last and the lost, saying, come and eat, come and taste. Do you not know how incredible our God is? Do you, know not, do you not know that he gives the best, the greatest? He loves in a way you have never experienced. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He raises the dead and he, he brings hope to hearts that are broken. A church full of fruits. Fruits to put on the banquet table to invite people to come and taste and see that he is good. This is not about us being nice or shiny or effective. It's about them seeing that God is good and just and full of holiness. He's not a God to be trifled with, but he's a God of power. The power of the cross offering a way back to know the Father's love. So, what do you want from church? Why are you here? You may well be thinking tonight, why am I here? Why are you here? What are you here for? And when I say here, it might be some maths, but the church at large, why are you part of the church? I have to be honest, I've been in all sorts of churches. I've been leading various churches. I've worked for all sorts of churches, flavours and styles. Large churches, small churches. I've planted churches. I've Baptist, free church, Anglican. I've done loads. And I'm thankful to God for his church. I love the church of Christ. But I'm done with religion. I'm done with froth. I'm done with sound bites. And I'm done with just doing services because that's what the church does. I want more of him. I want more of his glory. I want more of his presence. I want to be better equipped in order to share his heart. And you know what, I'm done with being satisfied. It's easy to become satisfied. St. Matt's is an amazing family. I'm privileged to be part of a beautiful family here. You know, I look out at you guys. And genuinely, in the worship, I've just started kind of tearing up. I'm moved because I see so many people here filled with grace and gifts and character and fruit and heart and full of beauty. Many of you really know the Lord. Some of you don't yet perhaps know him. And I look at you and I see God's heart and love for you. I love the church. I love the people of God. But I'm hungry for more. And it's so easy to be satisfied to come to a church that's nice. Because you're all a nice bunch of people. And sometimes I'm nice. So maybe you enjoy coming sometimes. You know, it's easy to hang out with nice people. But I want more than that. Because otherwise I could join a golf club. I've been in lots of clubs over the years. You know, I've been in sort of fitness clubs briefly. I think it would be amazing to know. I've been in car clubs. They were really exciting. I've 
I was even in the Tufty Club. Some of you old enough to know what that was. The Road Safety Club. It was very helpful. I, I've been in loads of clubs and they were all really nice. But if the church simply becomes a club of nice people doing nice things, then I think we've lost who we're supposed to be. We're not supposed to be nice in that way. We're supposed to be radical. Sometimes we're supposed to be offensive. The God of this age doesn't like us. And at times the world and the flesh won't necessarily like us in the same way that they didn't like Jesus. They crucified him. That might act as a directional warning for us. But we don't need to be afraid of that because Christ is with us. I want more. I want to be led by the Spirit more. I want to pursue the Father and obey Jesus more. I want to yield more of my life. I want to be more dependent on the Holy Spirit. Have you received the Holy Spirit? Acts 19, Paul asked the question to a bunch of believers who really loved the Lord. They said, have you, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they said, we, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. I've met many Christians. My, I, I was in that boat. Sorry, is there a Holy Spirit? Well, it sort of is. I've, I've read about it, but what does that mean? Maybe God wants to stir you to receive more of the Holy Spirit. It says in Scripture, go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not supposed to be a once-off deal. But it often starts with being a deal, and then you go on being filled. If you've not experienced the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, I can assure you, he would like you to be. And it's very straightforward. If you've given your life to Christ and the Holy Spirit is alive in you, but that's a different thing about than the indwelling filling of the Holy Spirit the Scripture is very evident about. They laid hands on these disciples who loved Jesus and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And you know what? There was fruit. These guys just started speaking in tongues straight away. No one had taught them. No one had educated them. No one had sat them down and done a seminar and said, when we lay hands on you and pray for you, you will speak in tongues. No, it just happened because that was the fruit of God. Some of you might like to experience that and might need that, be hungry for that. I want to close with this and we're going to pray. We're going to pray in a, in a slightly different way. Sometimes it's really easy to try and please everybody. Anyone admit sometimes being a people pleaser here? Some of you will have heard the story. It's an old fable. There was a, a man and a boy and they were taking their donkey to market to sell and the old man rode on the donkey and the boy walked ahead with the rope pulling the donkey. And as they went through a village, many people poured scorn on the old man and said, that's really cruel, you lazy old man, making the boy walk. So the man got off the donkey and put the boy on the donkey. And they carried on walking. And through the next village, lots of people pointed at them and said, you, you, you terrible lazy boy making the old man walk at the front. Get off. So the boy got off and... Both of them got on the donkey. And they carried on to the next village. And everyone shouted and said, you, you terrible pain, look at the state of that donkey. You're killing them, both of you riding it. You're awful. So they both got off the donkey and they walked through the next village, both pulling the donkey. And in the next village they said, you stupid people, you've got a donkey and neither of you are riding it. You're completely ridiculous. So the next village, they got a pole and they tied the donkey on and they carried the donkey <laughs> through the village. And as they crossed the bridge... The donkey kicked out, he didn't like being carried, and slipped and fell off the bridge, and a bit like Eeyore, landed in the river and just floated down the stream on his back. Life is often like that. And if you try and please everybody, you might as well kiss your ass goodbye. <laughs> I 
just about get away with that, just about. That's ASF. But, it's so easy to become people pleasers in the church, isn't it? We, we listen to voices around us all the time and we try and serve them and we try and serve here and we try and serve the world and we try and serve our own needs and we try and, and, we try and please people. You know, sometimes it's from a really good heart. But we end up chasing around because the voice that we should be listening to is our Father. What's he asking of you? And are you saying yes to him? Are you being obedient? What is the Father saying in these days to us as church? To us here at St Matt's and to us as church in the city and in the nation? John 1.16 says this, Out of his fullness we've all received grace upon grace. So the fruit we're talking about, the life we're talking about, comes from his fullness to us. Friday night I had a dream and I, sometimes, just occasionally, God has spoke to me through dreams and Friday night I had a dream and in this dream, just the end of it I'm going to share, I saw this kind of really ripe, it was like a tomato, fruit. And it suddenly occurred to me in my dream, it's amazing how you can think about things, rationalise things in a dream, it's because God was doing some stuff. I suddenly thought, what makes fruit fruit? Oh yeah, it's because it's got seeds in it. Fruit has seeds in it. And what do seeds give? More fruit. The point of fruit is it's something that begins to multiply. You get a tomato, you cut it open, it's full of seeds. And from that one tomato you get a load of seeds that gives you loads more fruit. God wants us to be fruitful because fruitfulness begats fruitfulness. It's multiplication. And then I heard this word in my dream and I woke up hearing these words in my head. Seeds give keys. As we are fruitful, as we try and plant seeds to bear more fruit, there will be keys given to us to unlock situations in our city, I believe, in our church, in our circumstances, in our families, a fruitfulness that allows life to grow and a new sense of growth and life. But we need good soil, and the good soil as well, it's abiding in him, resting in him, receiving from him. We need pruning, we'll hear more about that next week. God wants St Matt's to be a seedbed, but he wants my heart my life to be a seedbed too. Because it always begins with me. It always begins with us. And so as I conclude, I want to share what God has been saying to me about St Matt's and a journey that we're going to take a step into. This is a new fellowship here, a new family. And we've been learning to be together and I know tonight's taken a little bit longer than normal because I wanted to give time to explain how we're coming to this. You know, some people look at St Matt's and go, how does it work? And I look at them, <laughs> scared, and I think, well, it, it, it works through God's grace. But God often gives us framework and shape and we've got a sense of moving forward. About three months ago, God started speaking to me about eldership. And eldership is a biblical term, it's a very biblical term, of elders in the Bible. And I felt God was saying, St. Matt's has become a seedbed with good soil and he wants to bring new growth. But as part of that new growth is to give a bit of structure that just holds and brings security and allows further growth. There's a verse in 1 Peter 5, 1-4, says this, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elders and witnesses of sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Not yet as lording it over those who are allotted to your charge, but providing to be examples of the flock. And then the chief shepherd appears. When the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. It talks about, talks about shepherds, uh, elders being like shepherds 
in, in a church environment. Elders were always um, appointed by God. They weren't elected biblically. They were always appointed by God and then the local church would, uh, would kind of um, appoint them. And there are people who bring a sense of shepherding, holding in the background, holding the sheep. Oversight, looking over, brings spiritual oversight, a spiritual view across, looking, watching, listening to the kind of watchman on the walls and then bringing shape and direction and encouragement. And they do it willingly, they do it through obedience. It's about saying yes to God, yes. And so for me, God spoke to me about two, two or three months ago about bringing an eldership here in St. Matt's. We've got to explore what that's going to look like and how it's going to work. But tonight I want to, um, and God gave me three names. And so we're going to pray for those three people tonight. And many people on the team here are aware of them. But for some of you, it'll be new. And, and there'll be lots of questions. You might want to come and talk about these guys. But these people, these three people who God has given me, I'm trying to be obedient and saying, yes, Lord, okay. I'll ask them. And if they're, if they're willing and they're obedient, they'll say yes too. And actually they have. And we spent some time praying. I want to pray for them tonight because they're going to help us work with us. They're part of us, part of our family to help bring and shape the next stage of what God wants to do in this seedbed, bringing fruitfulness as we pursue him and run after him. So, um, when it comes to eldership, the kind of, these, these are the three people. Uh, Mark Nish, uh, Martin, Heath, and Paul Wakefield. Uh, you'll notice that all of them are men. Is that because I only believe that men in leadership? Well, I can say this honestly. Anyone who knows me knows actually that I'm passionate about women's ministry. You know that I'm an incredible advocate of women, of raising up women. But I'm obedient to simply what God said in this instance. And so what does that mean? Women's eldership grow in the future? Yeah, it might. Might it diminish in the future? It might. Might it include other people? Yeah, it might. But in this instance, God spoke to me and I just said, okay, Lord, I'll try and be obedient to you in this. So tonight, I'd really love for us to pray for Martin, for Mark, uh, for Paul, as they step into a role with a little bit of intrepidation and uncertainty, but as we shape and take forward this next stage of church life, and we close in a minute, I'd love us to pray with them, because we're trying to discern together, Lord, how can we be more fruitful as your people to bring your kingdom more fully amongst us and at this community? So Mark, Martin, and Paul.